Turn, if you will, we're going to do uh, 2 Corinthians today, then we'll break in the next few weeks and speak on Christmas themes. We'll have uh, uh, Matt Nicosia will preach uh, next week, and then we'll be picking up different Christmas themes. But uh, what a great season to know the Lord, to know the Lord, to know the truth. And uh, we're in this... Uh, a remarkable book in which Paul has said <clears throat> that he is a minister of a new covenant, which would be like saying he's the minister of the gospel, not the law. He's not Moses, but he's got something far superior to the law. He's got a message of grace, a message of the Spirit, a message that brings righteousness. The law could condemn it was never meant to save. It was meant to tell you you need to be saved. <laughs> it was meant to tell you you're a lawbreaker. You're not able to uh, keep God's commands. You just don't measure up. And so the gospel says, how can I be right with God? How can I be right with God? And Paul said, I know I bear that message, and I'm glad to bear it. But today I want us to look at, as he continues his argument, that uh, uh, the miracle uh, of a new creation in Christ, what is the miracle, uh, the power of a new creation might be the way to say it. And I think of three things we're going to look at. The minister of this gospel, Paul, and the integrity he brought it uh, to them with, what the kind of integrity. Uh, and then we're going to look at the message that faces Continual satanic opposition. Why is our gospel always being stuffed out, snuffed out? Why do we constantly fight to get it out? And finally, uh, the miracle, the miracle of a new creation. The miracle, how it takes place. It's remarkable. Let's look at him. He says in verse 1, Therefore, Reaching back to the argument, I'm not Moses, I'm Paul. I've been enabled by the Spirit to preach in the Spirit, to preach with an unveiled face, Jesus Christ. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret things and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure. 
I believe that's the message, the gospel. In jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. It's our message that saves, not the messengers. The message, not the messenger. I just had a young man telling me about a man studying theology, finally decided Jesus wasn't the Christ. And uh, as I inquired of him more, oh, the guy got hurt in the church, the pastor stole money and all of that went on. And, and so he decided Jesus must not be the Christ because he found out the preacher was a crook. I said, son, what does the preacher have to do with Christ? You better have more than preacher religion because none of us preachers can get you to heaven. We bear a message in clay pots, but it, oh, it's only Christ that saves. Own, don't be basing your faith on men Base it upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one that will never disappoint. He's everything he said he would be. Paul says four things about his ministry and his privilege of bearing the gospel. He said, first of all, I'm in the ministry of bearing this message because I received mercy from God. He was, he was always saying that. Remember, Paul was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor of the church. He consented to the death of Stephen. They laid Stephen's garments at his feet, and he probably representing the Sanhedrin said, go ahead and kill him. Go ahead and stone him. And Acts 9, he's on his way to kill Christians up in Damascus. So he was an enemy of the Christ he preaches. There is nobody that bears the gospel message that wasn't a former enemy. The biggest proof of our message is ourselves. I once hated it. I once was opposed to it. Now, I think that bothers me to say I ever hated it because I grew up around the truths and I, I gave mental assent. I've always, because I grew up in a Christian home, I always believed Jesus was virgin born. How many of you always believe that? You believe that he died on the cross? Yeah. Buried, raised, you know, and let's go out and steal something. <laughs> you know, it had no effect on my life, but I knew the facts. I believe the facts were true. I, I just didn't have a personal relationship. And so I knew the facts. That's the hardest kids in our church to evangelize are those from Christian homes. They got all the answers, but they're not saved. And they'll manifest it by the time they leave the home. I mean, right now, what do you say when dad's feeding you, training you, mama's taking care of you? Uh, is Jesus Christ? Yes. Do you believe the God? Well, yes, yes, yes. We'll find out. We'll find out in time. Some really do believe in Christ as children, but it's not necessarily so. But Paul said, I am a minister of this gospel because I found mercy in God's sight. And he said to Timothy, God has demonstrated his mercy 
and his long-suffering in me. I think that's a marvelous testimony. Uh, you know, I was at a pastor's conference years ago, and I shared the fact that as a pastor, you usually are put on this pedestal that you have to be the epitome of godliness in the whole church because you're the model. You're the example. And it's kind of like, look at what God can do. And everybody has these high expectations. You know what Paul said? He said, when I come in town, you see two things. God is merciful, and he has put up with me for a long time. Would you follow that kind of leadership? Somebody you think God's been merciful to, and somebody that God has taken years to make them what they are. That's what Paul said, too. He said, I have this ministry so I don't lose heart. I have not lost courage. It was, uh, I'm trying to think of the Russian writer, I'm going blank, Solzhenitsyn, who said that one need only study history but to realize that the loss of courage has always signaled the end. When you lose courage, it's over. That's why this word discouragement, it just means I'm losing my courage. I'm amazed all the way back to Joshua, right on through Scripture, be strong in the Lord. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. Be strong in the Lord. Courage for the right. Courage. Think of those Hebrew children. Oh, king, we're not careful to answer you. Uh, heat it up as much as you want. If our God should deliver, hey, that would be nice. But if he doesn't, it doesn't matter. We're still not going to serve your gods. Courage. And Paul said, I don't care what the Judaizers are saying about me. I don't care about what this faction in the church at Corinth is saying about me. The opposition I'm living with and the criticism, the beatings, all the opposition. I've li Listen to this man. There's been many a time I've lost my courage. Many a time I needed a touch from God to get the courage back to continue. And here he's saying, you know what, no matter what, because we've got a message and we've got a calling from God, we don't give up, we don't lose heart. You see, people in Christian service, it's amazing how many lose heart. You did run well, Paul said. Who has hindered you? What made you turn back? Who cut in on you? Uh, oh, you used to. I used to. You used to. No, what are you doing now? Do you have the courage? The courage. And he said, because God gave us this ministry, we have not lost heart. And he says it again in verse 16. We do not lose heart. I, I must say, it, it is a battle not to lose your heart when you live with criticism, persecution, uh, poor results, on and on. What makes some people just do the same thing year in 
year out, year in, year out. Maybe it's the fact God gave them their ministry. Who asked you to teach that class? Who asked you to function the way you are in the body of Christ? Is God in it? Paul says, I continue. I haven't lost heart. Third thing he says, I haven't given up integrity in preaching and bearing this message. I haven't sacrificed my character. Verse 2, if you'll notice that. The essence of all leadership is trust. No matter what the style is, if you can't trust them, uh, you won't follow far. Uh, have we not been besieged, besieged, besieged by the headlines that you wonder what in the world is going on in secret? Well, there's been a whole lot going on that's shameful. And listen to what Paul says. We have renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't have a secret life. Uh, we're not afraid for you to uh, examine what we do off hours. You know, Las Vegas, what happens here stays here. Oh, no, it doesn't. It gets out of the city limits. Uh, when you're God's child, you remember what David said? I thought I was pulling off a secret night. And then in Psalms 51, he said, but it was before you that I sinned. Hidden sin down here is open scandal up there. You can't hide with God. You can't hide. Once a man asked Charles Spurgeon, can we write your biography? I loved his reply. He said, write it in the heavens, for I have nothing to hide. There's no secret tapes. There's not a third party. And Paul is saying, I don't practice shameful practices. I, I'm not a crooked apostle. I'm not a crooked minister. I don't have to be. We do not use deception, and it means bait. We don't use tricks to get people. We're not into the trickery business. And then, nor do we distort the Word of God, which meant to water it down or corrupt it, corrupt it. Uh, you know, we all cannot have a Joel Osteen face. Some of us look like I do. You're stuck. Uh, but it's amazing, all the styles. Some people say, well, I don't like the way he speaks. Well, why don't you? Well, he, he's got this mannerism, that mannerism, all the speech impediments and distractions. Do they ever tell you the truth? Well, I, uh, well, I, I just don't like their, you know, I remember when I first was here at McGee, I said, where did this country boy come from? Huh? How, how does he think he could be on the radio? Well, you try staying on the air 20 years after you're dead. <laughs> we don't want to hear you when you're alive. <laughs> He's been dead 20 years, and he reaches more people than me. Not doing too bad. 
the accent didn't hurt too bad. But we get this picky, 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 and that's why men are scared to death to preach, trying to please nitty-gritty congregations. Oh, oh man. That's why I love renting the dance hall. I couldn't bother anybody. You were desperate to go there anyway. I mean, we had nothing. Paul said, I'm not a trickster. I'm not a speech specialist. I'm a truth teller. I don't care if the guy's mannerism is good or bad. Do I have cancer or don't I? Do you know how to fix me? Don't you? I don't know if you say it's smooth or kind of gruff. I want to know. I need the truth. And today we've given up truth for mannerism. If you're smooth, if you're nice, a good talker, what's the truth? Don't lie to me. I must hear the truth. The truth sets free, not a man's smooth speech, not his manner. The message sets free, not the preacher. You can be scared. I know my brother Paul, he used to drive me around uh, when I was 15. I didn't have driver's license, and he would drive me around to preach. And boy, he was critical at the end of the message when we're driving home. He, he would read off every mispronounced, every, I mean, he kept a record. I mean, he was embarrassed what he's hearing because uh, I was slaughtering it. And you did this and you did that wrong and, and blah, blah, blah. But, and then sometimes he'd say, you are one of the boldest young punks I've ever heard. He said, you are bold, and you're only 15. Why are you so bold on it? I said, well, if it says it in the Bible, I could say it, can I? He said, yeah, but you're a kid. I said, it doesn't make any difference if God said it. And he said, well, it's a miracle they ever have you back. <laughs> and he's right about that. Uh, he, uh, We don't distort the word of God. On the contrary, we're appealing to your conscience and we're preaching as before God. We're preaching before God uh, in the face of God. And he said in 1 Corinthians 4, he said, It's a small thing if I'm judged by men, for my motives will be exposed before the living God. Think of every one of you along with me. He said, Your motives will be exposed before the Lord. James 3 says, oh, by the way, you want to be a Bible teacher? Don't seek to be teachers because God's got a severe judgment for you teachers. You're too lazy to study to know what it means, and you still tell people what it means. He said, you ought not to get in that arena unless you plan to study because I hold you accountable. I, I don't want you to play fast and loose with my word. Say what I said. Study to show yourself approved, not ashamed of the work you did. Awesome responsibility. Then he goes on and he says, I am this kind of a minister. God put me in the ministry out of mercy. Uh, I haven't lost heart. I'm still at it. Uh, I don't adulterate. I haven't given up my integrity. I don't have to be a liar to be a preacher. And this man certainly was not. But he said, let me tell you something about my message. 
It's not always received. And some of my critics are saying, you know what, if you're so right, why aren't more people believing it? If you're so right, why aren't there more converts? And he said throughout Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 1, he said, what I am preaching in Athens is foolishness, and I know it. The intelligentsia of the ancient Near East in the Greek world, Philo, Aristotle, Herod, they would shoo me off of Mars Hill. I'm seen as an idiot. For what we preach, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to men who are perishing. And I know that. Chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, I know that when I come with my message, it stinks to those that are perishing. It smells like death, and they say, get that rotten message out of here. I don't need this. Get out of here. Get out of here. Why do you think he was stoned, run out of town? He would speak many times in the synagogue, have a good hearing, and before it's over, they're throwing him out, they're persecuting him, and he's going to say, my message has mixed reviews. Jesus said one time, don't be alarmed that the multitudes are not listening to me. For straight is the gate, narrow is the way, and everybody will get on it. How many get on it? Few. How did you wind up on it? We'll we'll look at that. The God of this age, which is a term for Satan, has blinded the minds of of unbelievers. As long as you're refusing to believe God, you will live with a mental blindness. This blindness is understanding, comprehension. You remember what he said in chapter 3? That Israel, they can't understand God. They don't understand the law. Uh, And he said, this veil is only removed when you come to Christ. Faith in Christ opens up and floods the heart with understanding and comprehension of God. But as long as Christ is kept out, the mind will stay uninformed. You cannot be saved with a Bible only. God must do something inwardly. That's what the new covenant's about. It's not in stones. It's in the heart. I want to give you a new spirit. I want to engrave my law inside God must do something in us. It's not just externals. Religion, formality, ceremony, it's all hogwash when it comes to knowing God. What happens inside? And here he says, I know that the message I preach, Paul is saying, is men can't see it. And I'm saying, do you see the sun? I can't see what, where there is no sun. There is no such thing as the sun. There is. Open your eyes. I, I don't see it. It must not be true. It can't exist if I don't see it. 
Uh, how many fingers do you see? Well, I don't see any. Well, uh, now you do, don't you? Don't you? Uh, uh, there's something in front of you. I don't see it. Get, hear me. I don't get it. I don't get it. How's that? Something between that and my eyes have blinded me. I can't see it. So you mean, Paul, you've been preaching and preaching a message, and you're saying, it looks like I'm wasting my time beating the air to men that will never get it. And I have to say at times this verse has discouraged my heart in evangelism. That the sowing of the gospel demands great patience and endurance because there's so much rejection. Don't be surprised. They cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They, they, they can't see Christ. What, what is it they see? According to John 3, men do not come to the light because their deeds are darkness, and they choose the darkness over the light. Because their deeds, they'll choose sin. They'll choose money. They'll choose all kinds of issues. Sin, sin, sin. And they do not see Jesus is glorious. He's going back in this section. He's gone back to Exodus 33 and 34 where Moses wanted to see God's face. And God said, you can't see my face and live, Moses. So I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a rock. I'm going to pass before you, and I'll let my afterglow hang out so you'll see a visible afterglow. But in both chapter 33 and 34, when God reveals his glory, you know what he reveals? He reveals his character, not some big splendid image, uh, you know, like a fireworks or uh, earth-shaking it, I'm full of compassion. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will judge unto the fourth generation those who are wicked. And he keeps telling about who he is. His character said, God, I want to see something. Show me your image, your image. He said, I will reveal my name and my character. The glory of God was hidden. And he said, Moses, you can't see my face you know what the gospel says? God finally has exposed his face, and it's the face of Jesus. And it's a face of mercy, grace. He said the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. God has exposed himself in Christ. You know what? Hear me, hear me. Do not get caught up in God talk. God talk is worthless. God talk is worthless. 
You don't know God without Jesus. If you know the Father, you've come through the Son. And the Father reveals the Son. The Son reveals the Father. Uh, there's people that will talk God, God, God all day, and we don't know what they're talking about. I say, what thank you of Christ? There's the issue. There's the issue. God. Demons can talk with you all day about God. There's no atheistic demons. There's never a demon that saw Jesus that denied it was Jesus. But God talked. No, 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 no. They blind you to the glory of God that was demonstrated in the loving, compassionate, dying, suffering, glorious, resurrected, ascended, glorified Son. Have you ever seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus? That's the work of God himself. Now, how can we ever be saved if Satan is blinding? How? I don't know how long it took for you. How many of you were saved before the age of 12? How many before the age of maybe, uh, let's say, 30? Okay. So I think it's why child evangelism is so important. The greatest place in the world to lead someone to Christ is a home. A home. Because as you keep rejecting Christ, I think the veil gets thicker and thicker, and it will get easier and easier to live without God. We can't reach children soon enough. If we could turn off all the screens and take a little time for Susie and Johnny to tell them the good news and be the kind of people that love on that child. You are the greatest blessing God put in your child's life. You. You're the greatest blessing. And don't count on our uh, junior department, our children's department, or you. Well, what are you doing, mom and dad? This is your beloved child. We just prayed with Patricia and her three children. Just got a three-week-old baby and two little precious girls. Man, I hope, Patricia, God uses you to lead them to Jesus at a young age. But he said there's something that happens in the gospel ministry. Verse 6, he says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness. Hold your Bible right there. Turn to Genesis, if you could find that. That's kind of towards the front. Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Without process, he just created it. Now, the earth was formless and empty, Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, bara in Hebrew, which is, they took to be a creative word, watch this. God said, 
Let us start an evolutionary process of a billion years. What did God say? Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Original creation, when we needed light, God simply steps out, as it were, and simply, I don't think he had to shout it. He just says, let there be light. Wait, just imagine. Every star, sun, moon, everything that brings light in this entire universe began in Genesis 1-3. Let there be light. How do you get light in the new creation, the new birth? God had to step in your life and he did the same creative word. Notice what it says. God, who said, Lights, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus. You heard the message. You heard the message. You heard the message. You heard it. Boom, boom. God finally said, Satan, You've had long enough. Let there be light. <sighs> Veil lifted, and you caught your first glimpse of Christ, his worthiness, his glory, the gospel message that you'd been blind to. It was a creative miracle for God to save you, a creative miracle. You are a miracle. I said, you are a miracle. If you see it, you are a miracle. Uh, my, my sight's been restored. I can see Jesus for who he is. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I see. And Paul says, I have this treasure in an earthen vessel. Why do I keep preaching the gospel despite all the satanic opposition and blindness? God uses this gospel. It's his vehicle by which he speaks the word. Let there be light. You know what it will take for your kids to be saved, for your grandchildren to be saved? For this word from God, let there be light. Let there be light. This is the mystery. This is the mystery. Uh, some of us, um, I, I've shared it before. It, it's a, uh, a great struggle, especially as a week-by-week preaching pastor to get people saved. Most of my audiences are usually 90% saved, okay? But some people measure all success by external conversions. Who's getting saved? Who's getting saved? Let me ask you how you're doing on a personal level. And uh, when I first started preaching, I stayed defeated all the time because uh, I saw some guys that uh, 
seemed like they, they, were, they didn't get them to come forward. That was the measure, the altar call coming forward. That was it. I thought, man, I must not have it. I can't get them to come forward. And I saw many come forward that never got saved. We just handed out a lot of Kleenex. And they were broken, but they never got saved. They never continued. You know what? I want to say this. It is a sovereign work of God that saves. You can preach all you want. Can you say it better? Can you say it smoother? Uh, what's your, how can you do it? Uh, unless God, unless God speaks to that heart. And it's the same with you. You may be here, and you know the answers. You know the message. Has God ever shined in your heart and said, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is God. He is God's treasure to me. That light awakening is a divine work of God. A divine work of God. You know, I just in reference to my brother, he was nine years old when he got saved. He was in Niles Canyon, California, at a Pentecostal camp meeting. And my father was leading his brother to the Lord, Frank Howard. And he's telling him how to be saved. And my brother Paul stood next to my dad while he's telling his brother Frank how to be saved. Guess what? My dad was talking to Frank, but the nine-year-old boy, the light came on. And that's when he got saved. Right there. Right there. So let me say this. Evangelism, souls, we need to be asking God, pleading to God. Don't give up. Paul didn't give up. He kept preaching the gospel. He, that's God's means. That's God's means. But I love it. I love it whether we like it or not. There's no secret little mechanism, little some way. No, 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 no. It, salvation is of the Lord. If he doesn't work, what's the difference between sovereignty and free will? I don't know. You figure it out. When it talks sovereignty, I'm preaching sovereignty. When it tells you to respond, I'm going to tell you to respond. Believe and you will be saved. See it and you'll receive it. The reason you've never received him, you've never seen him. I pray God open the heart. Listen to what Paul said even to believers in Ephesians 1. I pray that God would give you the spirit of revelation in the inner man that you could see and comprehend what you have in Christ. Most Christians don't understand what they've got in Christ, let alone an unsaved world that Satan is blinding. We must intercede. We must keep the gospel. And let me say another thing. The devil doesn't care for about everything but the gospel. Be about everything. Be about choirs, music, this, that. Is the gospel the central message and driving purpose of this church? And this church isn't this building. It's you and I. Is that's what's driving us? Are we going to anybody that needs it? That's our mission. That's our challenge. And you know what? I'm afraid. Don't get so used setting in the light. Keith Green wrote a song, The world sleeps in the dark while many in the church sleep in the light. Don't sleep. Let us awake. 
let us keep telling this message and let no one ever be lost who was around us without them saying, I heard it from them. I heard it from them. They told me the gospel. Only God could say, let there be light. We'll leave that up to him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you the lights came on for us. Millions and millions, you have said, let there be light. And you created a miracle. Every child of God here today is a living miracle of the creative power of God. We bless your name. It's all of grace. It's all of your mercy. We bless your wonderful name. Amen.